Hi again, everybody. It's Mark Stenson here, and we are unlocking your world of creativity. And today we travel to Amsterdam and Munich to talk to two global players in creativity. And I use that word players quite emphatically and quite purposefully because these are two experts in play and how that stimulates our creativity. My guests are Alia Sandivar and David Chislett. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Mark. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity. Paperback is at a special price of $5.98, and the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, mark-stinson.com, and enjoy the book. Both Alia and David are creative consultants and facilitators in their own right, but together they are also co-founders and organizers of a terrific program called the Playful Creative Summit. They had their inaugural program here in 2020, but planning even bigger and better things for 2021. Alia, how did this whole idea of a Playful Creative Summit come about? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I would say it has it came about from me first seeing David on stage at a Spark conference and he is a fantastic speaker. So I was watching him from the audience and he made me laugh so much. And I thought, I don't know who this guy is, but he's fantastic. I have to get to know him. And then we did meet up and then over coffee, uh, we just had this cool synergy and we started talking about how, how is it that we can come together and work on something. And at the time I had come across this notion of summits, of bringing together a lot of people from different places to speak in pre-recorded interviews. And so over coffee at Zoku, I think it was, right, uh, David? We just sat down and then we started thinking, okay, well, David comes from mostly the creative facilitation speaker field and I come from the play and games field. And I said, well, how can we mush it together? And during that conversation, we came up with the idea of the summit. And then, and then I, I thought, okay, well, why don't we just call it the playful, as in representing me, creative, as in representing you, and then call it the Playful Creative Summit. And that's how it was born. Uh, terrific. David, what was that speech that was so engaging? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a 10 minute keynote to a, a hall full of uh, women and entrepreneurs about activating your creativity by understanding what it actually is and how it works so that you can get more of the good stuff of the magic source. So it's one of the fairly variations on a fairly standard thing I do, which I now call the weapons of mass creation. Love that term. Yeah. Well, before we talk anymore, I want to guide people to playfulcreativesummit.com. So if you want to see you know, the past year speakers and some of the topics and things like that, you can still buy an access uh, to the past programs. So uh, I'm curious from each of you, this uh, Ali, I love the way you talked about play and game design and things like that, combined with how does that stimulate maybe creativity thinking in a business or innovation environment? I guess, you know, I love to have fun at work. I love to laugh and joke and play. Where's that fine line between skillful play facilitator 
and just being the joker in the room who taking everybody off course. Where do you find that balance? Ooh, that's a good question. Is, is there a balance? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I suppose that for me, I, I feel that our innate beingness as human beings is to be playful. And actually everything in the world is sort of structured to take that out of us, right? All the social structures, all the work structures, all the 90, nine to fives, um, all the administration of life. And so I don't think there can be too little of play because I think the structure of work or, or even in, in a workshop, for example, is there's, there's so much seriousness that any bit of playfulness we can add to it, any bit of fun is what we need to keep ourselves refreshed, alive, with our brain sparking and making new connections for creativity, et cetera. So I suppose you could go too far, <laughs> but I have yet to see it, see it in, a, in a playful, creative facilitation workshop thing. So, so David, do you, do you try to structure this play towards a objective or towards, you know, here's what we want to get out of a meeting or a weekend retreat or what have you? Well, I think you've got to, you know, be quite clear about what you're talking about in the moment. I mean, play just for play's sake is one thing. Gamifying a process to make it feel like you're playing in order to get somewhere is, is something a little bit different. So I think for me, what I do mainly is I want to create an environment where people uh, feel safe enough to just let go of all the self-judgment and the fear of judgment from their peers in order to get into the moment and play. And yeah, of course, I'm feeding them stuff and I've, I've, I've designed a little you know, course of action for the next few hours and I want them to go in a certain way, but I don't have a specific destination in mind. It's, it's, it's very much a fuzzy goal rather than a specific goal because as Alia said, you know, when, when people are playing, they're sparking, you know, because when you're playing, your brain is in the perfect mind state for creativity. So even though you may not be intending to make up a game or to generate a set of rules, you, you quite often will spontaneously come up with a whole bunch of ideas that take things in a direction or another direction. And as a facilitator, I'm not really interested in trying to dictate that. But I, I want you to get to the place where that's happening. And I was wondering about what is it that, uh, to get a little bit maybe scholarly here, what is it about play that stimulates the creativity in the brain? What is it that kickstarts a different way of thinking than maybe you were before the play. I, I can hit you with the creativity theory and then Alia can hit you with the game play theory. The re research, various researchers have established pretty much that in order to be in a creative mindset, you need to meet four basic conditions. You need to have mental quiet, you need to be inwardly looking, you need to be uh, slightly happy and you need to not try too hard. So what state of mind are you in when you're playing? Well, you're definitely slightly happy. You're definitely not trying too hard because it's fun. Um, you tend not to be outward looking because you're busy focused on the, on the game, on the activity. And yeah, you're very focused. So you're not thinking too hard about all sorts of other different bits and pieces. So I find play is a remarkable stimulator for creativity. And obviously, when we are in a creative mind state, we can be more playful because we are then open to random connections and unexpected happenings. On a certain level, it's, it's actually quite hard to separate the two concepts. And what about this gaming uh, theory, Alia? How, what does that do uh, to our creative thinking? Yeah, so 
one of the main theories that, are, that is used in uh, video games and video game development is the theory of flow. So the idea of being in a present state of mind and this this occurs because of the the dopamine of that's circling through the brain and so what happens for example in in flow is that it's the same experience that you have when you're either doing an activity like hiking and you just kind of become so present with what you're doing that you lose time you lose the like your your train of thought is simply in being rather than in thinking and so um, in games are sort of designed to get you into the state of flow. And one of the ways that they're so good at doing that is that for unlike real life in which we do not get rewarded for all the good things we do. And in games, every action has a reward for that action. That just makes you feel good and that just increases the dopamine in your brain. So imagine if life was designed in such a way that for every good deed you did, right? If you gave a good counsel to your friend, if you cleaned up your child that day, if you were kind to your spouse, you know, someone was behind you rewarding you every time. Great, congrats, you know, well done. We would constantly be in this like dopamine cycle. Um, and so, so this is sort of like an important part of game theory is that to be able to create an experience in which people are in the state of flow and we get there through constantly rewarding people for every action that they do. I love the idea. I'm going to carry around some gold stars from now on and uh, reward people for helping a little old lady across the street or whatever the case might be. Yeah, and I think it's also one of the reasons that um, people question or they worry about um, games being addictive and it's because it's one of the only experiences that we have in life where every action counts right mm -hmm. every every action in in a way the rest of our life is really based on sort of faith like if i raise my children well and and treat them well for 18 years you have faith that they'll turn out to be good kids right so but in games is very 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 quick even the experience of moving through through like an environment, right? That in itself is a reward because you're discovering new lands, for example. So maybe you pick up the coins or like you beat the bad guy or whatever, but even the experience itself is constantly giving you some sort of like feedback loop. And so thinking about the summit, uh, what other topics like this are being covered? Well, I mean, that's as diverse as the range of speakers, which we haven't confirmed for 2021 as yet, but to, to pull on the previous summit, we had a surrealist artist, we had an urban game designer, we had a writer, we had a couple of coaches, a guy who does actually creative leadership coaching. Uh, who else, Alia? We had someone who is a brand strategist who used gamification to promote a podcast. We had also branding experts, copywriters who used Instagram to, to teach people through play, all kinds of different folks I'm trying to think. We also had, of course, um, programmers from different games and game designers, as well as game researchers from different universities who told us about their research or games that they were working on. In particular, we had quite a two or three uh, researchers who 
told us about uh, games for impact. So games that they had developed to create social change, support the world in some way. Wow, what a spectrum, you know, from the academic to the very practical, literally uh, designing and programming the games. I love it. And it really sounds like from an attendee standpoint, this would appeal to a lot of people, but maybe some people I'm not even thinking of. What, what kind of people wanted to be involved in the program? Well, I mean, you, you've put your finger right on it, right? So our, our, our targeting for this year was, was more towards creative and play professionals to pick up more pro tips. But we realized that in a way that's kind of preaching to the choir and maybe what we really need to be doing is focusing on exactly what you just said. Folks in, in, in other careers who have realized that play and games, gamification and creativity and creative thinking skills are the skills of the future and by attending a conference, uh, an online summit like this, they can acquire some of those skills in order to be able to gain some competitive advantage, uh, experience more fulfillment in their lives or, or anything along those lines. So, I mean, that sounds awfully broad, but that's pretty much who we're interested in at this stage. You mentioned these people who want to be more creative or have more fun. What, what are some of the obstacles? Are they judging themselves? I mean, why, why aren't people, it seems so natural, that you would want to have fun and you would want to play games. But what keeps us from doing that? I think there's a couple of things from my perspective. I, as I mentioned earlier, I feel like the structures of society are set up in such a way that, that sort of keep people in line a bit, right? And so that's one. And, and the second is that somehow, I don't know how it is, it's, it's as though people don't really give themselves permission to do it. It's like, I would like to, but maybe later, or I'm really busy right now. If I get to it, you know, maybe I'll, I'll get to it later when I'm done with this, or I'm done with that task, or I have to take care of this, or I have to take care of that. So it sort of takes a backseat. And, and in, in our moment to moment life, I definitely think people in general make time for playfulness and fun on their off time, right? I mean, that's why people look forward to time after work and why they look forward to their vacation or why they might look forward to retirement. But we're advocating for play and creativity to be something that you are experiencing moment to moment in your daily life as part of your regular life and not something that you're sort of like saving towards the end. And I can even give you an example, which I find it really interesting. I just attended a conference on games online this week. And for a conference on games, this was the most boring conference I've ever attended in my life. <laughs> kind of ironic, huh? <laughs> yes. And then I started thinking to myself, oh my gosh, except for whenever we had like an exhibit of games or things like this on the different academic conferences I've attended, they were all pretty boring. It was just the same per people up at front doing slides. And then only when I was off time, you know, so it's like a sort of like this model that's replicated even within the fields of game and play. I'm not really sure why it exists. I just know it exists and it's either structural or you, it's like people internally are sort of policing themselves and not letting themselves go there. Why? I, I don't have that answer exactly. Yeah, such a good point, though. Yeah. And these are some of the individual blocks. David, I'm curious in groups, you know, I think about doesn't there have to be some level of trust among the yeah. group? We always talk about using icebreakers, 
you know, to yeah. get to know each other, as in five minutes of going around the room, introducing yourself will break the ice somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you think about it, coming up with new ideas or trying to solve problems and engaging in creative thinking is taking a risk. You're stepping off the edge of the pier into, into unknown waters because what you've been doing up until now is known. It's cool. It's great. And now you're saying, wait, we need something new. We need something different. And therefore, by definition, that's unknown. So in a group environment, if you want people to embrace creative thought, it's got to be a safe space, which means it's got to be safe from their own judgment, from their own unwillingness to engage with these thinkings, their own monkey mind saying, you're not good enough, or come on, you're an adult. Nah, that's not how an adult behaves, or you've got responsibilities, but also from the judgments of others. So one of the things that I always say during my sessions is no one's allowed to say, but you're only allowed to say, and. So if someone floats an idea that basically everyone thinks stinks, no one's allowed to say, yeah, but that's just not going to work because you've got to say, yeah, and, and you've got to add to it and you've got to take it somewhere else. It turns it into an open-ended conversation. And that's part of the reinforcement of the feeling of safety. I mean, when you think about it like that, you can see the creative thinkers spend, must have enormous emotional courage because they're constantly swimming around in spaces where not only is there not necessarily an answer, but there's a multitude of possible answers and there's no guidebook to tell you which one you should be choosing or not. So that's kind of, you know, you're going to muck around until you figure it out. And thanks to the industrial revolution, the factory assembly line, and the fact that our education system has mimicked factory assembly line for well over 150 years, we're not used to doing that. You know, we're used to black, white, yes, no, right, wrong, bang, boom, bosh. And now all of a sudden, the machines have gotten so advanced that we don't have to do that anymore. They will do that, which means that we have to start getting a little bit brave and a little bit happier and more comfortable with ambiguity and with complexity and seeking out the new as opposed to the known, which we've been habituated into seeing as comfortable and safe. So interesting. And what about this AI when the machines start doing the thinking? Where's, where are the fun people going to be? <laughs> well, where does that leave us? <laughs> well, um, what does it mean to be intelligent? How do you define intelligence? Well, certainly somebody would say knowledge and the application of the knowledge. Right. You, know, that you have some information and then you're going to put it to some work. Right. So the, the truth is that on, on, a, on a sort of medical, physical, biological level, we're nowhere near understanding what intelligence really is or how it works. So what are our chances of being able to build a machine that can do that? You know, if you speak to actual people working in AI fields, they reckon like the, the notion of general AI, of, of a machine that can think spot, uh, independently and spontaneously and make decisions like a human, they reckon we're hundreds of years away from that, even though everything is in, increasing in power exponentially, if indeed we'll ever get there. If you're speaking about specific focused AI, which is what we're really talking about, like traffic lights is pretty specialist AI, that's what's going to come next. And that's what's going to set us free. But what on earth are we going to do? And that's where the problems start. <laughs> yeah. Well, with all this free time, I guess we'll have time to have more fun. <laughs> if we got instead any money, you know, because we won't be just, doing the jobs. Well, there you go. <laughs> so it'll be all fun all the time. Well, hey, I was going to ask you guys this bit of a curveball here, but sometimes on my program, I have musicians or I have poets and artists and things like that. And I ask them to play a song or read a, 
chapter from their book. So I'm thinking about all our listeners now who are they're walking the dog, they're cooking, they're riding in the car listening to our podcast. Let's have a little fun. What, what's a little game that we could play to stimulate some you know, fresh thinking and some new energy? <laughs> all right, go. cool. So what do, what do we normally use an umbrella for? It's to keep us dry from the rain. So Mark, we'll, I'll just pick on you because you know, I can hear you as opposed to the rest of the listeners. Uh, you've got 30 seconds. Start listing alternative uses for an umbrella starting now. Uh, to keep things from spilling on you from, the, you know, from above, to uh, actually turn it over and maybe catch water and do that. Let's see. You could use it as some sort of sword or weapon. You know, it's folded up yeah. and you could stab Good. somebody with it. Uh, let's see. Well, people use it to keep the sun off. You know, yes. not just the rain. Good. Um, what's, uh, so some of these are spring-loaded, so uh-huh. it would have some sort of propulsion. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, could, it could shoot something across the room, maybe. All right, good. Uh, okay, so there you go. All right, good. So the bad news is everything you said there, everybody says every single time I do this exercise. <laughs> so now you've got another 30 seconds to come up with some really interesting alternative uses for an umbrella without repeating anything you just said. You know, this is the trouble of being a host. Uh, let's see here. Uh, something totally, completely new and different. Just different from what you already said. It yeah, have so to uh, you would put it on the back of a bike or a tricycle to stop it. You know how race cars have the thing. Yeah, nice. Yes, back. that's a good uh, one. Let's see. Uh, we could also use it, well, turn it the other way around, and it's like on the front of something to be a wedge or a, what a protect- Aerodynamic kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, you could use All right. We, we can stop this game right here because okay. you've just said two things that nobody's ever said. And I've done this exercise about a hundred times. What is the lesson here? The lesson is that when you need to come up with an idea, your brain goes to pattern first. It goes to the known, it goes to the safe, it goes to the predictable. But in order to get to the good stuff, you've got to push past that. You've got to go again. You've got to think more. And that's what you did. As soon as the, the obvious, the predictable, the, what everyone might say was off off the table, you went somewhere new. That's what you need to do in, in, in any creative practice to, is to, to get to the good stuff, to get to the magic source, push past the stuff. So if you're ever invited to a brainstorm, brainstorm alone first, and then reject all the boring crap and then- Get all that, yeah. Yeah, and then go into the room with a bunch of people who've also done all the thinking, the obvious thinking first, and then you're gonna have a session where absolute sparks are gonna fly. I like that a lot. Cool, oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so you just have to answer just so we get to know you a little better. Dishes or laundry? Uh, Definitely dishes. Okay. Fruits or vegetables? Fruits. Wine or beer? Wine. Europe or Asia? Oh, that's a tough one. I'll go with Europe. Okay. Let's see. Chips or popcorn? Hmm. Chips. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Let's see. Windows or... Apple. Oh, oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> Apple. Apple. <laughs> That's it for me. <laughs> okay. Well, so I think you have a full uh, picture of me now. So I'm sitting at a coffee shop in Europe with my Mac open, <laughs> uh, eating chocolate-covered strawberries. I don't know. Uh, but yes, I, I see that. That's a great game. That's cute. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to play games like that with my kids or my grandkids in the back of the car. You know, we're going around the uh, so that's some new questions I hadn't thought of before. These are good. Yeah, and then you can actually do this in a group, right? We recently played something like this 
on Zoom, and it's really fun. Oh yeah, that that would be fun on Zoom. Yeah, with, yeah. with the whole you know with the window covered here with the screens of all the people. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, this has just been such an enjoyable conversation. It's been fun. And wasn't that the whole idea? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> Ali and David, point us to some resources, uh, especially your own. Uh, I know you have your own companies and your own websites. Uh, Alia, where can we find and connect with you? Sure. So you can reach me on my website. My company name is Tint Hue. So that's T-I-N-T-H-U-E dot com. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Alia Sandovar or on my Instagram, which is also very similar at tint.hue. I'd love to hear from you and connect with you any way that I can support you in understanding games and play in business. I love doing that. Hi, cool. Also, my website, davidchislett.com, chislett with two T's at the end, constantly blogging on there. So you can always find articles up there as well as all the links to my YouTube channel. I'm also a poet, believe it or not, so I'm glad uh, you didn't ask me to read any poetry. But I publish everything on Patreon, so if you're keen on supporting the arts, you can pop on over and find me, uh, just David Chislett. If you search on Patreon, you'll find me easily enough, uh, as well as yeah, the other guilty parties, uh, Instagram and, and LinkedIn. And of course, yeah, YouTube with some videos and stuff. So there's all sorts of bits and pieces there, including some free book downloads and lots and lots of articles on creativity. Well, that sounds like a great resource. Well, can't thank you guys enough for uh, being part of the program. Alia, so great to talk with you, David. And boy, we're really looking forward to this Playful Creative Summit. When will registration be open? We are aiming for registration to be open at the end of February okay. 2021. Is that correct, Alia? Yes. Yes. Oh. Well, now we're going to have to do it because we've told two people. <laughs> we're, we're all, that's right. And the other six people who are listening to this podcast. Well, I'll put a note on our calendars for the end of February and we'll be looking out for it. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Alia Sandovar. And thank you, David Chislett. Been a terrific conversation. And thank you all listeners. You know, this is the program where we've promised you that we are going to span the globe looking for creativity experts to really talk about not only original creative thinking, but getting tools, exercises, you know, some games even we've talked about today, but most of all, making these connections and creating opportunities to get your creative work out into the world. You know, one of the things that we'll continue to explore is it's one thing to come up with the ideas and it's another to execute them. And these guys have really created a terrific summit, playful creative summit with an idea, a gleam, I'm sure at one time, and now you've pulled it through and executed it. Congratulations on that. So come back again for the next episode and we'll talk more about unlocking your world of creativity. Take care. Thanks, Mark. You guys. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson.